Don't believe the lie that you don't have value and you don't have something amazing that you're going to bring to the world. All progress, all great progress begins with me being honest, like, okay, this is where I've got to do some work, or this is where I've got to change my life, my habits, my relationships, my business, whatever it may be. That's where it all begins. I think those three things are really where we start to work. And and it also uncovers the lies, which are stacked up here. And this little guy sitting on your shoulder going, you're a loser. What do you think you're going to be a CEO? What do you think? You know, all those things. And we have to silence that voice and then replace it with the truth. Welcome to the Seven Hats podcast. My name is Yuval Selleck. And I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, seven hatters. Today, we dive deep into hat number one, the soul. As my guest, Scott Ballard, addresses the lies we tell ourselves, how to face the truth behind those deceptions, discover self-acceptance, and create a better, more fulfilled life. Scott is an author, speaker, business coach, and the founder of Confidence Coach, LLC, working with leaders to experience breakthroughs, achievements, and transformation. He's been a successful entrepreneur for 35 years with multiple failures and successes, so he's got a lot of wisdom to share. His energy is addicting, so without further ado... Hey, Scott. Welcome to The Seven Hats. I'm so excited to have you. Well, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yes, we met uh, a few months back. I just fell in love with your story, and I think The Seven Hatters would absolutely gain and benefit from it. So what I want to do is I want to start from the beginning because there was some childhood trauma that shaped your adult life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. And it certainly has. And I'm glad to talk about it. So I was uh, born into a great family, happy people, uh, had a great childhood. And then as I got older, school uh, became on the horizon. And being a people person, I was super excited about going to school. And I grew up in a small little town, and we had a little grade school. It's just a couple of blocks from our house. And so I was really excited to get there to see my buddies, to learn new stuff, and, and have this great adventure, right? So I get there, and I'm in class maybe a month or two, and I'm realizing myself, just my own perception, I'm not learning like the other kids. And then in our small rural town, they did a very interesting thing. They had the teachers come to your house at the beginning of the year to meet the family and the parents and kind of talk about what you're going to learn. And then at the end of the year. So my teacher comes to the house. My mom makes dinner and they all sit down and she's starting to say, you know, he's uh, he, he needs to work harder. 
He needs to be more disciplined. You know, I was I was pretty disciplined and pretty focused anyway. I grew up in a family where work was really an important thing. And and so uh, my parents both looked at me and said, you know, you got to buckle down and get this going. And I said, I will. And, and I did. And and it got worse, got to the point where um, my teacher took my desk from the row of class back in the 60s, had the desk like that, took my desk and put it in the back corner, faced it toward the corner and said, I, I'm you're you're stupid, you're a dunce and you'll never be anything. Wow. And so I'm seven years old and I'm like, oh, wow, this is a really bad start to life Like, because I'm going to be in here forever. You know, at first grade, it seems like college is like forever out there. And it just sent me in a spiral because I believed her. I believed the lie of her labeling me as stupid and dumb and never going to be anything, never going to do anything with my life. And that was a bad choice on my part. Uh, And it started just spiraling down towards suicidal thoughts, towards running away from school, running away from home, all kinds of health problems, and just put me in a tailspin. I had to go back. She came at the end of the year to my parents' house. And to my greatest dread, my worst nightmare, she said, he needs to do first grade over again. So immediately what comes to my mind is the shame of my buddies that I grew up with in the neighborhood. Like they're going to second grade and I'm going to do first grade again. Well, first grade, the second time was worse than the first time. And I did worse because they didn't know what the problem was. Because back in the 60s, dyslexia was not really a known thing. And so um, so I trudged that second year, became very suicidal and just really struggled with my identity and why am I here and what's my value? It was it was the, the worst season of my life. I mean, at seven or eight to be thinking about, you know, ending your life. And I grew up in a rural area where there was hunting and fishing. And so we had guns and, you know, the things were around. And I I really contemplated that I, I had two parents. And and I and a grandmother, she was four eleven little Irish gal. And she would say to me, she would grab me by the scruff and she'd say, Scotty, there's a plan for your life. You know, God has a plan for your life. Like there's something, there's something, there's a reason you're here. And it ringed in my ears, and I was like, Oh, maybe grandma's just being grandma. You know, like I, I don't know. Like I because everybody else in authority is telling me I'm I'm garbage, basically. What I learned in that season was to see in the other kids and even my teachers to see their genius, to see where they were brilliant. So like I couldn't see it in myself. I was totally had this blind spot about I had any value or had anything. But if I met you on the playground, I could say, you know, you're you're great at swinging the highest or you're great at kicking the soccer ball. Or I would go to a teacher and say, you know, that I, I, I can't I'm not learning thing. But, you know, when you were teaching about a history there. Wow, that you this is your system you're really good. I would tell my teachers this in grade school, but I could not see any value in myself. So out of this darkness came this superpower, the strength of meeting somebody, and and we met the first time, be able to shine a light that they can't see in themselves, and then show them this is the genius that I see. This is the greatness in you that the world needs. And I can see it and you can't. And, and remember, this is who you are. And so that's how I kind of navigated school, not by grades, but by really helping and empowering fellow students and teachers. And, and we got to the sixth grade and we had a first year teacher. I don't know if I told you this last time, but he was Mr. Bacall. He's a first year teacher. 
We're in sixth grade. We come in the first day and he says to us, remove all the desk out of the classroom. Well, between you and me, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're, we're starting all over. Like, I'm just learning to read and write. And I'm like, you can't be doing this to me. And he goes, we're going to turn this into a learning lab and we're going to turn this into a business. Everything in the class is going to be a business. And everybody's going to get a business and X amount of dollars. And we're going to learn about real life, like how economics work, how you work in the real world. So I started with a with a little business he gave each one of us. And mine was to rent balls at recess to play Foursquare. So I, I just was fascinated by this. And I saw other opportunities. By the end of the year, to make the long story short, I owned pretty much every business in the class. And I had all the money. But I couldn't read or write for the life of me. <laughs> You know, and I, I was I was flunking through school, and 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 I remember Mr. McCall saying, "Hey, don't believe the lie." And this is where we get to the lies and the truth. Don't believe the lie that you don't have value and you don't have something amazing that you're going to bring to the world. And I'll never. I I'm eternally grateful to him. He 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 went on to be a principal at a very uh, exclusive private school up in Seattle, and had a great career. But, you know, that's where I, I thought, okay, this is how I'm going to get through school. And what I'm going to do afterwards, I'm going to figure out how to do business because there's something in my wiring where I could see things and opportunities others couldn't see. So, so you, it's a lot to uncover there. So you bought yeah. into, as you were growing up, others' opinions of who you were. So you bought into the failure, right? I believed it. You believed it. And it's funny because some kids who are bullied, yeah, they turn to humor. Yeah. But exactly. you turn to inspiration. Yes. Which is yes. interesting to protect yes. yourself. Yes. I didn't receive encouragement. This is the way I say it to people now. I didn't receive any encouragement by family, but I knew the value of encouragement could make such a difference that I wanted to, to give it as a gift to everybody. Yeah. Did your parents know about all of this? Have you, you know, when you were oh. contemplating suicide, did you tell them what was happening? Well, well, my mom actually caught me in the backyard trying to arrange that to, to happen at seven and a half years of age. Really? I mean, she walked around the back of the house and I was trying to figure out how I was going to do this. She knew, she goes, no, like, we're going to figure this out. Like, you, this is, you know, they knew I was struggling. I mean, I was running away from school. I was running away from home and they were trying to piece it together. But, you know, when you're in a small rural town, there's not the resource. I mean, you know, and they, 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 my dad's the hardest working guy I've ever known, but they didn't have any money to go to some specialist in some big city or, you know, we had to make do there. Yeah. So she intervened, she knew. And, and I think that for her was like the awakening of the seriousness of it. And what did she try to do to help? Well, love. Love is the answer, right? I mean, yeah. she she unconditionally loved me, believed in me like I've never had another human before. Like, no matter what evidence I brought to her, meaning report cards or papers or what other people said, she and my grandmother and even my father very quietly would say, no, there's something here. There is something in this pain that is going to be a blessing that's going to do there's going to be something out of this. I don't know what it is, but there's going to be, there's something for you. So as you were growing up, did you retain any sense of hope or feeling of success at all into your young adulthood? Yeah, I did. Because what happened was I would see the reaction or the impact and influence I had on others. 
And that really gave me hope. That really, and and people seemed to really just gravitate towards me. I always had a ton of friends. Like I knew the smartest kid in the class and was friends with him. And I knew the kids that were out on the smoke line that were in all kinds of trouble. I, I could cross all barriers uh, because I was trying to look at the person and go, okay, who are you? And what's that greatness hidden inside of you? And I want to encourage you. I want to believe in you because I know how what it's like not to have that. Like we all need that. And so that's where I found my hope is in, in, in those people, in those situations. Wow. What a childhood. So fast forward to the present. Mm-hmm. You've now been an entrepreneur for over 40 years, finding both great success and failures along the way. Give us a sense of what that timeline was like and the key experiences that you took away from that. Yeah. So we talked about this last time, but I did finally get out of school. They did give me a diploma. So you graduated first grade. (laughs) Okay, good. 13 times. All right, good. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Great accomplishment. But I got out. And and so, um, you know, I got married really young. I I met this beautiful lady. She was a Val Victorian of our class, of course, you know, the smartest girl in school. And we fell in love and we've been married 40 plus years now. But we got out and, you know, I didn't have the traditional road that so many people do going to university, you know, getting their MBA, you know, all these things, which are great. Well, I I, I couldn't do it. I flunked out of three colleges because I couldn't do the reading. I couldn't do the writing. So so what do I do? I go back to my sixth grade experience and, and I say, I'm going to start a business. Now, I know nothing. My dad worked for the same company 40 years. Like I have no, but I, but I just so blindly believed and what I learned about that experience that I figured I'd do it. And so my wife and myself, we, for, for about 12 years, we started and failed in 11 businesses in a row. And my wife would say after everyone, what did we learn and what are we going to do next time? Because we're, I learned how to fail really fast as a kid because I failed every exam, every test. Like I, I could fail faster and forget about it and move on better than any entrepreneur in the world. So like when I got into failing in business, it was just like, well, yeah, that's what happens. That's how we learn. That's how I've learned to learn. Right. And so we just plowed through that. Well, the 12th one, totally industry I'd never been in. A whole story of even getting in the industry. You had to go to school, take a test. I should have never been able to pass. I passed by one point. And so we went into the insurance business with $100 at our kitchen table. Within five years, we were the third largest seller of that product in the United States. We operate in 42 countries or 42 states. And it, it just happened. It just, but everything fell into place. And what that business was, was really about finding people's genius, their greatness, their ability, and then putting them in a situation where they could succeed, where it was their greatest strength. And I, we built an organization that did that and, and knew nothing about the industry, but we knew people. Like I knew people and I knew if you put them in the right situation, they would succeed. And then we just started plugging people in and, and it snowballed and uh, I hired some really smart people that can do things I, I will never even to this day understand. And I, I encouraged them. I said, go, there's more. You can be better. Like I see more potential in you. And they're like, well, OK, take on this, start, open this office here, do that. And so we did that for 21 years and uh, sold it to a large life insurance company on the East Coast. And. And then, you know, the, the whole thing came down to this, like, what do I do? I'm not a retired person. I, I'm not a golfer. I'm not like, that's of no desire to me. And then I had people just start calling me 
or emailing me or heard about me and say, can you help me with my business, with this situation or my personal or whatever? And so for three years, I did this thing they call coaching or leadership or advising, whatever. And then I came home and my wife picked me up at the airport and I was down working with this guy. And she said, you know what you're doing is a business. And I said, no, that's David. I'm just helping him out. He's been a friend a long time. He's got some leadership problems in his organization. He's got people in the wrong seats, you know? And she goes, no, I've done some research. Like people pay to have you do, to do this. And I'm like, I don't think so, honey. I'm just, I'm just being a friend here. She goes, I'll show you this stuff. So long story short, that's what we've done in the last 10 years is, is take all those failures, all that success, and then harnessed it around people and their, their great um, ability they have and then believing in them. Like I hold the belief, like I was talking to a CEO the other day. I said, I'm going to hold your belief, Paul, until you can hold it your, for your own to do this new job. He got the big promotion CEO. He's like, he goes, nobody knows, but I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm like, perfect. <laughs> you're, 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 you're the perfect guy for this job. So I'm holding his belief as he's doing his part. And I said, when you're ready to pass the baton, I'll pass it to you. And you're, you're going to go do great things. I believe in people emphatically from that basis. And that's my gift to encourage them, believe in them, and then support them in a way that helps them to be the best version of themselves. You know what I mean? Like work out of that instead of trying to be somebody you're not or an ability you don't have. I did that forever. It's painful. They say leadership is all about being a servant and empowering Mm -hmm. others to be successful. It's Mm -hmm. not about you. It's about them. And I think your experience as a child and the fact that you had to find solace in mentoring others and helping others see their greatness because you didn't see the greatness within yourself actually helped you not only fail over and over again and keep on getting up because you had that experience as a young kid. But then, in a sense, create a massive successful business by empowering others who helped you. So did all that success heal your childhood trauma? Well, you, you know, I love that question. And that's like peeling an onion. I mean, that that so so in in the sense of my heart and soul, like in the sense of my soul, because I think we talked about this in the sense of my soul. Yes. In the sense of my um, mind, not fully yet. Like, you know, I still, and I'm being brutally transparent here, I still like sometimes hear that voice of Mrs. Matthews in first grade. I I can't say that I don't. Like, I still battle with that to some extent. Now, it's a million times better. But, you know, to having that forming years, to have that kind of, input at particularly in that age that's pretty significant programming that i've had to unravel and reprogram and i've had to exchange the lies a million times and i'm not exaggerating for the what the truth really is in my own work with myself but what i find that keeps moving me forward is this right here what we're doing because i know this is going to go out to your audience And I know that this will begin to help somebody realize that they are valuable and that they have something that's really important. And yeah, so so it's a process. It's a it's I I look at it as a lifetime. You know, I have this goal of living till I'm 97. 
And I really want at 97 to be sitting down having this conversation and really encouraging, empowering people. You know, people say, what do you do? And I said, well, I haven't worked in 10 years because this is not work. I, I can't stop. Not, I can't not do this. If that makes sense to yeah. you, like I, it, it just comes out of me. Yeah. It's so funny because childhood trauma is ingrained in your psyche. And I think all the seven hatters that are listening, I bet you a donut that if not a hundred percent, let's say 99.9% of anyone listening had some sort of childhood trauma. Somebody said something, somebody bullied them. They got into a fight, abuse by family member. And I also had childhood trauma. I was an immigrant, came to the U.S. from Israel at nine years old. And I remember at 12 years old, sitting in a classroom, not knowing anything, because I've skipped first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, right? I skipped all of those grades. So I didn't have a foundation. So what happened was, I remember sitting, this was in Long Island, I remember sitting in art class, actually, and the task at hand was to draw an American flag. Now, I don't know anything about the country. I'm an immigrant. And I drew a flag, and I'm creative. So I, I looked at a flag, and I just drew the, the stripes and the colors and the stars, but I only drew like eight stripes and 15 stars or something like that, just as an image, because I didn't realize what each uh, section of the flag meant. So the teacher walked up to my desk and out loud basically berated me for drawing a flag that was not accurate. She said something to the fact of, and I'm paraphrasing, you're so stupid. How could you draw a flag like that? You shouldn't even be in this class or something in that sense. I'll never forget that. And just like you, by the way, I think everybody, this is why it's so important to understand how powerful words are, right? Both ways. Because yes, we had the teachers that put us down. We had friends that put us down. But we also had those in our lives that picked us up. And for me, it was Mrs. Cox in sixth grade who made me believe in myself. She actually made me repeat sixth grade. She asked my mom for me to repeat sixth grade because she thought that she can help me really prepare for seventh grade, which was the next school, right up. And so just like your teacher, I think it's so important for everybody listening, your words matter, right? It's the difference between having someone feel insecure throughout their life or someone feeling empowered. And you're a light being, for sure. And we'll talk about that in 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 a bit, because there's so much darkness in this world. And so little light. And I think we just need more light in the world. And thank you for doing what you're doing. So we know that you still have, as I do, trauma that you're working through. And you have to make a decision, which are you going to feed? Because there's always two sides to the coin. They're both true. Yes, there's trauma, but there's also uh, opportunity. And so you're focused mostly on feeding the opportunity, right, in your life. But did you feel like you were worthy of that success in business? Because yes, you, you had this massive success. What about worthiness? Well, that's, you know, that, that's a great question. Nobody's asked me that before. I love that question, first of all. So I, I didn't struggle with it. And I think, I think when I think back to that moment, and I think every entrepreneur has like that moment where they go like, oh, this is working. And like, we've got a serious tax problem beyond what we ever thought we'd make in our life. So we, we got to figure this out. 
Um, you know, it's kind of, I remember that thought. It was like, oh, wow, okay. And I came from a very, you know, my parents, amazing people, just amazing. But, you know, we grew up on little or nothing. I mean, it was, you know, so I didn't struggle with the worthy part. And I think the reason I didn't, now this is my own self-analysis of this, is because I had failed so much, I became convinced that if I would just keep failing, eventually, just out of persistence, just out of sheer luck, if whatever you want to call that, it was going to happen like sooner or later, maybe at 97. But I was so locked into if you don't get up and swing, so to speak, the analogy of baseball, you can never have the hope. You can never have that chance. And mine just happened to be the 12th time taking the swing. So I didn't really struggle with the worthy part. I just thought, well, yeah, it was eventually going to happen. It just happened to be this one. Because if that would have folded up a year later or two or three or whatever, I would have just went to the next thing. I mean, I, w- I was so entrenched in not being stuck. I call it, I call it stuckness in failure that I just automatically, 24 hours is what I always gave myself to like feel bad and pity party, you know, all the stuff we all do. And then I'd be like, okay, that's good. So psh, let's go back and take another, you know, shot at it. And so I didn't struggle the worthiness. Um, I did, I did get concerned at times about messing it up. And then I would always go back to, okay, what made, what made it work the first day, the first month, the first quarter, the first year? Like, what, what was I doing? And I would always migrate back to that. And it was the secret sauce. It was people and people in the right seats and people with the belief of their leader behind them unequivocally. You fail with me as your leader, and I'm standing up cheering going, yes. What did we learn? What are we going to do next time? And you got this. Like, you're going to be great. I'm relentless about that with my people. Like, I'm rel- I don't care how, in fact, the better the failure, the better the learning. And that's the mark of a true leader. So obviously, you have drive and an ambition in spades. So Frank Sinatra said, the best revenge is massive success. Do you think that your drive and ambition to succeed came as a result of trying to prove something to those who knocked you down as a child? Yeah, I, it, it, it has... Now, not, not to a specific person. I don't want to make this about a specific person. But to the world, absolutely. Yeah, when, when other people would quit or they'd get tired or they wouldn't want to do it or go the extra mile or whatever or take the risk, always, always like, oh, no, we're going there. You know, we're going because I am eventually going to prove that what the world labeled me as as a child was a lie. And the truth is, I was made to do something really significant on this planet, and I'm doing it. And you're going to have to kill me to stop me. So nobody's that committed. I'm more committed than everybody. I tell my clients that all the time. I'm more committed to you than anybody else in your life, period. Because that's the way I've had to live, not had to. That's the choice I've made. And that's that's my exchange for the lie to the truth is, is this commitment of 150%. Commitment. I'm, I'm going to win out eventually. I'm going to win out. That's just the way it is. And it's proven to be true. Oh, and, and the beauty of getting old now, I have perspective of seeing all this. And people get all shook. And I'm like, what are you doing? Settle down. This is far from over. We're just starting. Come on. 
just nothing. Just retire. Come on, just retire. Go play some golf. What's wrong with you? Yeah, this is a marathon, man. Yeah, put on your shoes. We're going to run for a lifetime here. Well, I love your story. I love the timeline. But I think now let's get into some of the details, some of the nitty gritty. Let's Mm -hmm. discuss self-care around the soul. So first question, what are the lies that we believe about ourselves? Well, there's there's a bunch of them, but the first two that come to my mind is is I'm not worthy, right? And and um, you know, if they really knew who I was, they would they wouldn't be here with me, or they, you know, I wouldn't have the success. Like I'm faking it. Like the imposter syndrome is epidemically huge it's in this real. world, and social media has caused it to even inflate beyond unbelievable proportions. So I I, I really start with those two. Those are the two biggies um, that we have to address. We have to work on, and and we and we've got to call out. Right, all progress begins with being honest about these things. All progress, all great progress, begins with me being honest. Like, okay, this is where I've got to do some work, or this is where I've got to change my life, my habits, my relationships, my business, whatever it may be. That's where it all begins. I think those three things are really where we start to work. And and it also uncovers the lies, which are stacked up here. And this little guy sitting on your shoulder going, you're a loser. What do you think you're going to be a CEO? What do you think? You know, all those things. And we have to silence that voice and then replace it with the truth. I think most entrepreneurs feel that successful entrepreneurs don't have the voice that states that they're not good enough or the imposter syndrome voice. But they do. Everyone does. Everyone does, no matter who you are. You know what it took to get a podcast out for me? On a daily basis, contemplating, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? Should I not do it? Who am I? There are a million podcasts out there. Why did I need another one? And it was back and forth. And you need support in your life, the relationships, which which is why, you know, it's hat number three. Relationships are so important because you need moral support as a leader, as an entrepreneur. So how do those... Can I say one thing sure. about that? Too? Here's another point. So I was talking to the CEO of one of the largest companies in the world. So he called me. I've known him for a number of years. My wife and his wife and the four of us have traveled together. But huge company, um, a million plus employees. And he says to me, he says, Scott, he goes, I'm lonely. And I said, what? And he goes, I'm lonely. He goes... I don't have anybody that I can talk to that understands and will really listen to me and really love and accept me. And I'm like, whoa, okay. And he goes, yeah, he said, being the CEO of this is the loneliest job in the world because everybody that works for me wants something or trying to manipulate up the ladder or whatever. And everybody outside wants us to do business with them or wants you know access to something or whatever. And he goes, I don't have anybody to talk with. And right now I have to decide whether I'm going to let 100,000 people lose their jobs or not. So loneliness is a huge thing that I'm running into just all the time now. These leaders that are lonely. I mean, it's a whole thing. So we become that listening arm for them. We become that listening place that's safe and secure and non-judgmental and reaffirming and we remind them of who they are and what they could can do and why they're doing it like over and over like a mantra it's like 
This is why you're here. And we listen to them even when it doesn't make sense because they just need to get it out. And the way we make impact and influence on people is, is, is that. And we become that person. And that's huge. I had never understood that value till the last two years. Yeah. I'm sure you're not shocked that 70% of entrepreneurs have mental uh, health issues and are depressed. I think it may be higher. Than that. Probably higher. Those are the entrepreneurs that admitted it on the survey. Yeah. Right. The other 30 are lying. The other 30 are lying. <laughs> so how does your internal voice affect the other areas of your life? So for example, your relationships, your health, your career, maybe even your connection to the divine. Well, everything. It, it does affect everything because that internal voice is either telling you a lie that is is trying to kill you, so to speak. I actually use that language, or is trying to build you up and help you fulfill why you were put here and what what your life's all about. So, if my internal voice about my wife, we've been dating forty three years, goes to a lie, we would have been done at end of first year, right? So, so it, it's keenly it's, it, it affects all that. It affects your health. It affects your faith. It affects all of that. So, being able to recognize whether you're listening to the truth or listening to the lie is the most important skill you can have because that programming, that input then goes out and becomes your life, right? So if you have bad input, if you have that coming in, your life is going to represent that over time. If I would have stayed believing my first grade teacher, here's the best way to say it. I would have been dead and in prison at 20 years of age. Mm. I would have been an alcoholic, a drug addict, and I would have been in prison. No doubt about it. If I would have believed the label, that the identity that they said that I was, now, luckily, I had such strong input from my family and from a few teachers, I was able to overcome that. And I got distracted in the most beautiful way by looking at you and going, you're a genius. You know, when you say that to a kid on the third grade playground, you know, you get the weirdest. And some kids would just laugh and some kids would just smile and go, wow, thank you. Like I went to in a small town. So we went to school all, all together. Like I've known the kids my whole life. And I was just like, wow, what a great thing. Yeah, you need that. We all need that. And, you know, this fighting and, and, and being negative and, and living in this lie, where has that gotten us? Let me, let me ask you a question. Your wife has been a huge support system throughout oh. your dating tenure of 43 years. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. What do you think was the secret? And did you run into issues throughout your marriage because of the stress of, be- of being an entrepreneur? Well, I, I, I will tell you the secret that she has, because once again, I go to seeing it in other people. Now, a lot of people have a hard time believing this to be true, but our 43 years kind of proves it out. So now it's less of an issue, but this is what she has done. She has never publicly or privately spoken to anybody anything negative, bad, or that would reflect bad on me for 43 years. Mm. How many of those people have you met in your life? Not many. Once. Yeah. My wife is, is yeah. one and we've been married for 18 years. That's yeah. So that's the secret. The secret is I have a, I have a partner that has only spoken, believed and her actions only align with the best truth for me. Wow. For 43 years, not 43 days, not for four years, not for, I, I, we meet these young kids that are married and they're like, you know, we're seven years or I'm like, what? No, we're, we're, this is a lifetime journey, but you've got to work. You have to be committed to this 
in your mind, she is so strong-minded, so strong-willed in who I am. I just never have any doubt. Like if you, everybody beats me up, let's say there's a day, this said all falls down. The first thing I do is I just go to her and I stand in front of her and she just, and I'll be good in five minutes. I'll be like, oh, I'm good. Like she's known me for 40 years. Like she's seen every worst, terror, failure, all this stuff. And she's just like unwavering. That's the person she is. Yeah. And so that's what I saw when I met her and we started dating. I hadn't had a girlfriend before I was 18 and I was just, you know, and, and that's what I saw. And I was like, oh my goodness, now I need, this is the person I need to spend the rest of my life with. Cause like I can do anything with her standing beside me. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I don't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Support system is so important. So, so how do you transform the falsehoods into truth that ultimately empower us? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first thing you have to do is you have to identify what the falses are, what, what the lies are, what's, what's the false that I'm believing. And then what I have people do is I say, what's the opposite of that? Mm-hmm. Right. So what's the opposite of that? And that's the truth. You know, so the opposite of what my first grade teacher said of me is actually that I'm going to change the world by my superpower of believing in people, listening, encouraging them, helping them exchange a lie. That, that, the truth of that is that that's the truth. So that, that I've so overcompensated for that. So that's what we do. We identify them. And there's layers of them, as we all know. So we'll get in and we'll tackle an area and we'll get those and we'll transfer those to the truth. And then they become, they, they go, oh, my goodness. And I go, yeah, that's the real you. Like, that's who you are. And that's what you can bring to the world. And then, and then we take another area and we do that in their relationships or whatever. And we, we exchange those. And when that starts to get all lined up, watch out. You're unstoppable. Yeah. It's what we focus on. Yes. A hundred percent. hundred percent. So mm-hmm. how did your internal story evolve for when you started to where you are now? Yeah. So the internal voices change from, I think I can, which is a lie to, oh no, I've got this. I was made for this. I was made for this. I was made for this. Like everything I go into this conversation, whatever I'm doing, um, I was on with an owner of a large franchise this morning and she was like, wow. She goes, you're like reading my mind. Like she, she's like, this is uncanny. Like this never has happened in my life. And I'm like, well, this is what I do. This is my superpower. This is my knit. This is who I am. And this is how I changed the world. Not and from the, I think I can to, I was made for this. I love that. So you feel successful now? In the process. Because, because I'm living to a continuum of 97. So I still have a good 35 years where I can grow. And if, if I look back and I really count where I've been to where I'm at, in 35 years, watch out. So what does success look like to you? Uh, somebody's life transformed. I think you've already done that multiple <laughs> times over. <laughs> you might you might want to look at some other success ma- matrix <laughs> or just go retire and play some golf. You know, it never gets old. It, it, it's, it's kept me young because it's a high. It's, a, it's this internal thing when you're in the zone, you know, like sports people talk about that. Like, I totally get that now. I was like, I got off that call this morning and I was like, that was 90 minutes in a minute just on it. And I was just like, okay, wow, I want to do more of this. Like, I, I just, it's a healthy addiction. It, 
Isn't it amazing how those chemicals that are released in your brain when you help someone achieve success empower you in ways that no drug can? You know, it's just, it's an incredible feeling, which is why I do what I do. I wake up in the morning looking to help, looking to give, looking to add value because it feeds me and it does to you as well. So let's tell all the seven hatters the latest that you've been up to and how they can connect with you. Yeah. So what I've been up to is uh, is having these conversations around the globe. So we're doing some work in Europe now, which, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a poor kid from a nowhere town in Southern Oregon. And I'm talking to these leaders in Europe and these other places. And I'm like, do they know who I am? Like, I'm nobody. That- and then, they're, you know, and so and so that's what we're doing now. We're like, you know, with technology and the beautiful world we live in now, you know, it's eight billion people. Right. So we have access to all that. So so we're doing a lot of that. And then obviously, I'm always looking for the person that is ready. And here's the key to this, ready to really do the work, to make the commitment to take their life and be the best version of self to the next level and is willing to believe that I can help them do that. That's key. It's not the message, it's the messenger. And if you tap into that energetic vibration of someone that's in line with you, yeah. magic happens. So how could how could the seven hatters connect with you? Where do they go? Yeah, we're, we're at confidencecoach.org. Confidencecoach.org. There's a little button. It's not sophisticated. I do this now. It's limited. So I have to tell people now. I I actually do an hour with people. And I full out coach them like they're paying me and like the whole thing. Like I full out coach them as hard as I can. And I do that for people. And then we both sit back and go, is this something? Is it not? I'm not for everybody. I'm not trying to say I am. But who I'm for, it's life changing. So um, so that's the that's the way to actually have a one on one with me. Yeah, that's that's kind of it. That's this is what I do. So it's not some massive marketing thing. We're not trying to email trip 10 million people. I am, I, we've, we just had the greatest month we've had in our coaching business the last three weeks. You're a wonderful human being. I'm honored to know you. Mm-hmm. Scott, thank you so much for blessing the seven hatters with so many nuggets of content and valuable information that they can take with them. At the very least, if someone just questions their false beliefs, after this episode, everything's worth it. If that one person just looks at their life and says, you know what, maybe I have false beliefs. Let me look into that and changes their life. You have done a marvelous job. Thank you so much, Scott. Awesome. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Scott. Let's end for today with a segment of the show that I refer to as, what can we hang our hat on? And here's my takeaway. We all have a voice in our head. Our monkey mind that is never at a loss for words. A combination of an internal dialogue narrated by a master storyteller. At times, it is a positive voice. A voice we rely on to help guide us. However, this internal voice can be negative, convincing us of our unworthiness of what life has to offer. A recent survey reminded us that more than 70% of entrepreneurs struggled with negative thoughts and mental health issues, such as depression and anxiety. If left unchecked, that voice can guide us down a slippery slope if we're not careful, becoming louder and louder, screaming negative thoughts at us, making them increasingly more difficult to ignore. 
Scott's suggestion to combat our internal story is to identify what the falses are, what the lies are, and then turn it around and ask what the opposite of that thought is. And that's the truth. So follow Scott's advice and change your internal voice from, I think I can't, which is a lie, to I got this. I was made for this. I was made for this. I was made for this. I want to thank Scott once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you got from it so we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success in your journey. Until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.